You're listening to the podcast of East River Park Christian Church. If you'd like to find out more information about the church or donate to this ministry, please visit us at eastriverpark.church. We pray that this is an encouragement to you as you grow in Christ through the local church. The treatment did not go as planned. as She was only two months old. The infection in her eyes could not be ignored. The inexperienced doctor tried but failed. At only two months old, Fanny Crosby, born in 1820 in New York, would become mostly blind for the rest of her life. And while it was most certainly a tragedy, it wouldn't be the end of her story with her father gone, her mother at work, her grandmother raised her. And time after time, her grandmother would read scripture to her. She would begin to memorize the words. And so while her sight was faded, her mind was not a brilliant child that refused to be held back from the fullness of of life. And at, at only eight years old, she wrote her first poem. Oh, what a happy soul I am, although I cannot see. I am resolved that in this world contented I will be. How many blessings I enjoy that other people don't. To weep and sigh because I'm blind, I cannot, nor I won't. It's the resolve of a young girl. She began to write and write and write, and over the course of her life, she wrote over 9,000 hymns for the church. But it was uh, one day in in 1873 that, that, that really drives us to today's message and series. She went to visit a good friend, uh, Phoebe Knapp. It was said that Phoebe had the largest pipe organ ever to be put inside of a house, and she began to listen to this uh, new melody that Miss Knapp had put together. What do you think the tune says? It was the, the question that, that Phoebe posed. And after a moment, she replied, Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. And most certainly, it was and is the famous hymn that was written, Blessed Assurance, Phoebe playing this, this tune for her friend and writing the lyrics now have really far greater meaning. Perfect communion, perfect delight, visions of rapture now burst on my sight and angels descending bring from above and echoes of mercy and whispers of love. Blessed Assurance birthed out of the fellowship uh, of two women that, that loved Christ most of all. That's their story, but the truth is, it's our, it's our story too. I mean, we have not gathered simply as friends. We have not gathered simply as citizens of East Tennessee. We have gathered because of what Jesus is doing and has done in our heart. It's Ephesians 1.18 that says, Having the eyes of your heart enlightened, that you may... Know what is the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? I mean, that's our fellowship, that we have been given sight through faith in Christ, the kind of sight that drove two friends to meet together and write a hymn for the ages, the kind of sight that drives us and binds us together this morning. That's our fellowship. Which leads to the very point of question, Do we even want that? 
do we want fellowship? Because if we do, let me show you what is required of that from the Word. This morning, we'll, we'll start 1 John. If you have a, a physical Bible or a digital Bible, start 1 John chapter 1. If you have a digital Bible, I'll read out of the ESV translation. You have a bulletin. It's all there in the bulletin. Before we study our passage together, let's pray. God, we, we confess that, that maybe we always don't know what, what true biblical fellowship is or looks like. And what has been modeled for us since childhood has been incredibly unhealthy at times. God, we want more than just friendship, uh, more than just acquaintances. God, we want a fellowship that, that holds together, that's glued together because of what Christ has done. That's our assurance. That's our fellowship. So God, teach us from your word. Teach me from your word what is required in that. And we pray these things in your son's name. Amen. John. It's one of the three, one of the three closest men to the life of Jesus, Peter, James, and John. They had watched him closely. They had heard him preach. They had seen the miracles. They had observed the confrontations. Not everyone was that close to Jesus, but John was. In fact, his, his reputation preceded him, a fiery and passionate man, the brother of James, who was of likewise character, even Jesus called John and his brother the sons of thunder. He was a pillar in the church of Jerusalem. He was a ministry partner with Peter. He was an apostle that wrote the Gospel of John, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John. And then he was exiled to the island of Patmos, which he received a, a prophetic, profound vision from the Lord. And he wrote down what we know as the book of Revelation. So today, as we enter a new study on 1st, 2nd and 3rd John, we know the author of. Every historical account would affirm that to be true, but to be fair, we really don't know who he was writing these letters to. We can gather uh, like what these recipients were dealing with, um, but we can't exactly know who they were. Regardless, this son of thunder kicks off his letter in really a similar way that he kicks off his gospel account. So this is 1st John chapter 1. We'll start in verse 1. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest, and we have seen it and testified to it and proclaimed to you the eternal life, which was the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. Indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And verse 4, and we are writing these things so that our joy, or really your joy, can go both ways, may be complete. Do we want fellowship? And before we quickly bite at that question, let me clarify it, because we really don't want to answer something that we don't know what we're signing up for. Uh, the word fellowship, I believe I've mentioned it before, does not mean just friendship, although friendships can and should exist in the life of fellowship. Fellowship is from 
the Greek word koinonia, which is found you know, at least 20 times in our Bible, a word that is used two times in our passage today. Uh, Lexham, the Lexham Theological Word Book, everyone loves, defines koinonia as fellowship, communion, sharing, and participation. It's a term that conveys a sense of commonality, solidarity, and shared responsibility among households and individuals. That's the baseline definition. But something we, we must understand in light of the context of the whole Bible. So our commonality is not because we all make the same amount of money or because we all root for the same sports teams. Our participation is not even because we are all participating in the same way. No, fellowship in light of the gospel is Christ, so we have Christ in common. We commune on what Christ has done for us. We literally just did that. We unify in Christ. We have shared responsibility to honor and serve Christ. This is truly the koinonia of the ecclesia, or simply, like, that's the real fellowship of the local church. So now we can answer the question, do we want fellowship? Because that's, that's bigger than just more events on the church calendar. Do we want fellowship? Because if we do, there are some requirements that we see evident in the passage today, a fellowship that, that John has experienced and then reveals to his readers. Let me share the main three from the passage. Do we want fellowship? If you're a note taker, here we go. Then we must listen to the word. Gotta listen to the word. So, so here's what's happening in the passage. Often you have the apostles defending their right to be called an apostle. Uh, so to be called an apostle, you must have followed Jesus during his earthly ministry. You must have been an eyewitness of the resurrection of Jesus. And then you must have been sent, commissioned by Jesus. So meaning that the apostle John... He, he wrote with that kind of authority. So what we find in verses 1 through 4 is really a testimony of his apostolic authority, if you will, that he has seen, that he has heard, that he has proclaimed. That is what caused his fellowship with the Lord. That's what has caused his fellowship with the readers. So like, what, what can we deduct from that? Well, what made John an apostle is what still produces our fellowship with the Lord and each other today. That, like, that if we want fellowship, then first, you got to listen to the word. Look at verse 1. What was from the beginning, what we have heard and seen with our eyes, what we have looked at and touched with our hands concerning what? Y'all can dialogue a little with me. What's it say? The word, yeah, well, yeah. It's the word of life. So like mentioned earlier, John kicks off this letter referencing what he mentions in his gospel. So what's the word of life? We'll go back to John chapter 1, starting in verse 1. In the beginning was the word and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and He was in the beginning, and all things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. 
And in him was life. And the life was the light of men, and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Like, so if you remember from the Christmas series, this word, this, this word from the beginning, this word that came into the world, this word that was and is life, this word is the incarnation of Christ, or simply, like, it's God becoming flesh in the name of Jesus. If you just go to John's Gospel, John 1, take it down to verse 14. It says, And the word became flesh, and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, uh, glory as the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. So that's what John means in verses 1 and 3, that we have heard from the word of life. All right, so why does that still matter? Like, why must we still hear from the word of life? I'd say simply because you don't get to have fellowship with the holy God without first hearing the word of life. Or like this, you or I will not find salvation without first hearing the word of life. So Ephesians 1, again, verse 13, in him, it's Jesus, in him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. Like, that's the imperative of the fellowship. Yeah, we can gather to have fun. We can gather to eat food. We can gather to relax. But the fellowship is centered around the hearing, the listening uh, of the word explained to us. Like, you need that. I need that. Let's be real here. Uh, your coworkers are not going to find salvation because you were nice to them. This community is not going to find salvation because we handed out boxes of food or paid their rent, not to take away from any of that. But we do these things out of an overflow of love, not because of some weird bait and switch to trick people into heaven. It's, it's the often misquoted line from Francis, preach the gospel at all times and then use words if necessary. And before we amen that, not only did he not say that, it's not even true. To preach the gospel is to preach the word of life for people to hear with their ears, to see with their hearts. So whether we like it or not, our God gave us a book. A book to read, a book to study, a book to listen to, a book to understand, and yeah, a book to apply, but y'all, it's still, it's still a book. We do not gather to hear from a preacher. We do not gather to hear our favorite worship song. We don't gather because our best friend is here. If we really want fellowship, then we gather as one people to hear from the book. Nehemiah, chapter 8, starting verse 1. And all the people gathered as one man, into the square before the water gate. And they told Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the life of, or the law of Moses, and the Lord had commanded Israel. And so Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, both men and women, and all who could understand what they heard on the first day of the seventh month. And he read from it facing the square before the water gate from early morning until midday in the presence of the men and the women and those who could understand. And the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. And Ezra the scribe stood on a wooden platform that they had made for the purpose. 
this ain't nothing new. Like our fellowship is unified, cry, bring out the book. Like we want to hear from the words of life. That's what this church is about. That's what these Sundays are about. That, that's what, uh, why like we even wake up, drive over here, even if we're, we're tired or, or anxious or depressed or busy or sad or the kids are losing their minds. Why? Well, because we want to hear from the words of life as a gathered people. It's this ancient, historic calling. Do we want fellowship? Well, let me give you the second one. Then we must see the power of the word. Power of the word. So as an apostle, John, he, he literally looked upon the Christ that walked out of the grave. In fact, some of the, the naysayers even, even touched his scars. John chapter 20, verse 28. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. And although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands, and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. And Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God, and Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Let's be honest, no one in this room has seen Jesus. If you have, let's have a conversation about that after this. No one in this room has, has, has touched his nail-scarred hands. So what does Jesus say? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. We have not seen, but we have heard the word of truth. And when we hear the word of truth, we see the power of God transform our lives, that we are made a new creation, that we're given the Holy Spirit. It's Romans 8.11. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Friends, you must first see the resurrection power of Christ in your own life. I mean, it, it, it is, it's literally the first main question we ask anyone that wants to be a member of East River Park. The elders want to hear how the work of Christ has and is changing someone's life. The elders want to hear how they have seeing the power of the word transform them from death to life. Like, we can be friends. We, we just can't have fellowship without the transforming power of the gospel. 1 Corinthians 1, verse 18. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it's the power of God. I mean, that's our fellowship. That's our aim. The word of the cross transforms lives. Like, I did not go to Bible college so we can all learn some random Bible stories. I did not go to seminary so we can all feel positive, encouraged in our sinful behavior. This is a ministry of transformation. Like, we want to see lives changed. 
We want to see men and women and children go under the water in baptism. We want to see the gospel restore those caught in addiction. We want to see the gospel go to the nations, new churches planted. We want to see marriages restored. We want to see men become godly leaders of their families. We want to see the power of the gospel in and through this local church. I mean, is, is that not what we want? Because, I mean, that's the purpose of this fellowship, not for you and I to get our own way, not for the preferences and our ministry methodologies, not for our namesake. It is a fellowship to see the power of the word actually change someone for eternity. Will you join that mission? Will you love and, and serve this church in a way that God has gifted you? You can join the welcome team or missions team or prayer team or children's ministry team or student ministry team or property team or worship team or tech team or cleaning team. Will you serve in countless other ways that don't have team attached to it? Will you love your neighbor or is that just some nice idea that, that you believe but you don't not going to practically live out? Like I'm, I'm pleading for us to lock arms in the gospel ministry of transformation. That's real fellowship. All right, do we want fellowship? Let me give you point three. Then we must proclaim the word. Proclaim the word. We got two times in our passage. Um, we proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was manifested to us. And we proclaim to you also that so that you may have fellowship with us. It's the charge that that Paul gave Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter 4, starting in verse 1. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with complete patience and teaching, for the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. They have itching ears. They will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions, will turn away from listening to the truth, wander off into myths. And as for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. Like we need to hear that God is love. We need to hear that, that God is, is patient, but we also need to hear that God is a jealous God, that God's patience is is not going to last forever, that God will one day pour out his wrath on the sons and daughters of disobedience. Like we proclaim the full counsel of the word. We proclaim the word that, that makes the Democrats uncomfortable. We proclaim the word that's going to make some Republicans squirm in their seats. We, pro we proclaim the full word that comes after every heart. Hebrews 4. Verse 12, for the, the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart, that the fellowship of the believers is to gather together and be cut open by the word of life. And it's more than that. Like It, it means that we gather together to proclaim the word to each other, not just from the pulpit, but to each other. So Acts chapter 2, verse 42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, 
to the breaking of bread and the prayers. But the fellowship, I mean, it's a devotion. It's a commitment. It's more than just a Sunday. As Acts 2.46 says, it was day by day. The fellowship was this ongoing proclamation of the word of life to each other. So as I've said before, Sunday, here it is. Here we are. Sunday it is not our fellowship time. Sunday is our worship time that is enhanced when brothers and sisters in Christ fellowship Monday through Saturday. You and I, we think way too highly of ourselves if we think we only need each other once a week. That's not New Testament fellowship. Hebrews 3, verse 12. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God, but exhort one another every day. Every day, as long as it's called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin, for we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. We are called to exhort one another. How often should we do that? Well, verse 13 says, every day. And how do we exhort one another? Well, it's certainly within the realm of proclaiming the word to each other. It's encouraging each other with Bible verses. It's praying these, these Bible-saturated prayers for each other. It's holding each other accountable with the Bible. It's lifting uh, up a brother or sister that's just going through a difficult time, reminding them of the goodness of God, even if it doesn't always feel good. Yeah, so we gather on Sundays. We gather at small groups. We gather at study groups. We gather at book studies. We gather at coffee shops. We gather on Facebook Messenger. We gather through text messages and phone calls. So I'll say it again. You and I need the word of life encouragement from other believers every single day. If you don't believe that, I promise you, you do not realize how dangerous you really are. We must proclaim the word. Not just to an unbelieving world, but also to ourselves, to each other. That's our fellowship. So it was ugly. There's no denying it was ugly. And my home church in Kentucky had, had seen some dark days, I'd say failures on many fronts, but certainly failure in leadership. There was a sexual sin in the church leadership, and it had finally come to light. So yeah, it was ugly. This was a man that should be trusted. This was a man that loved his children, loved the church. This is the man that prayed with me to receive Christ and baptize me. So yeah, it was ugly. And it ripped the church to pieces. People left, never came back. People gossiped among the congregation and among the small town. And they did their best to recover. They hired a new guy with far more credentials. And it worked for a while, and then that fell apart too, no obvious sin, just a mess. So churches do what churches do when things fall apart. They have a business meeting. 
And so my home church did. And yeah, it was ugly. There was pointing of fingers. There was anger and bitterness and jealousy and blame. And I had moved away at, at this point, but my parents gave me all the details. And really the most haunting part of it all was a younger guy. A younger guy uh, that stood up in that business meeting. He didn't have the easiest life. His family didn't attend church, but he was there. And at this point, he had returned to church, church that he loved. And so he stood up with boldness beyond his years, and he rebuked the congregation. I mean, with tears in his eyes, told them how much it broke them to see, broke him to see them fight like that. And then he walked out of the back of the church. So I'm going to state the obvious here. But the local church isn't always a place of joy. It is full of sinful people that sometimes make a huge mess. And I'm, I'm preaching to the choir, but I know many of us haven't always felt joy in the local church. So when John writes in verse 4, these things we write so that our joy may be made complete, I'm assuming that many of us have experienced the exact opposite of that kind of fellowship. For some, fellowship has wounded us in the deepest of ways, and not because someone graciously said you were living in sin. Those are not church wounds. That's you not wanting to repent and wanting to blame someone else. That part must be said. No, I'm talking about gossip. I'm talking about slander. I'm talking about leaders that live in secret sin and slowly destroy themselves and those around them. I'm talking about people that say they're Christians and then treat people like garbage. I'm saying, I'm talking about the hateful things that we say to each other's face and then we say behind each other's back. I'm talking about Christians who think they've got church figured out and then want to bully their way into leadership positions. I'm talking about the underbelly of the local church. The truth is, is that church is sometimes the last place we would say, well, our joy is complete in the fellowship. So what's the antidote? I mean, what's the cure? How do we really experience a complete joy among the fellowship? Well, that's not a secret, and it's certainly not overcomplicated. It's the word of life. It's a church that rallies around the word. It's a church that listens and sees and proclaims. It's a church that doesn't always repent of someone else's sin. A church full of believers that repent of their own sin. It's a church that bears fruit in keeping with repentance. It's a church that's humbled by the gospel, it's a church that sets preferences aside. It's a church that shows radical grace. It's a church that loves each other. It's a church that even loves their enemy. So I don't have tricks. I've said I don't have tricks up my sleeve. I do not have any new brilliant ideas that's going to keep East River Park going for another 10 years. But we got the book. That's enough. 
truly, truly, the word of life is the source of our fellowship. That's your main point. The word of life is the source of our fellowship. Let's pray together. God, we do um, come before you and, and knowing that it is a very real possibility that, that your children here this morning have been deeply hurt and wounded by the fellowship. Even people that they love and respected that took the word of life and used it as a weapon. Not to restore, but to wound and kill. God, we, we confess to you that even this fellowship, even while I've been here, has not been perfect. Help us to be a church that, that just repents, humbly submits to your word, that sees the power of the gospel. God, to be humbled by that, to be a humble people. I'm thankful uh, just to be a part of that. God, um, just continue to teach us what true, real fellowship looks like. We pray these things. In your son's name, amen.